That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, everybody. If it's a Monday, it has to be Bauer and Rose. Welcome. My name is uh, Rose. The other guy is Bauer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We're hosted by our good friends online at justthenews.com, as well as being broadcast on Sirius XM, Channel 125, The Patriot. Gary, I hope you had a good weekend. It's, you know, I throw down about 90 seconds before we start our podcast, uh, things that I think we should talk about. And we began our conversation this morning before we hit the play button or the record button with this kind of extraordinary uh, case in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington uh, late yesterday, a 25-year-old airman um, burned himself uh, to death in an act of uh, protest against Israel's quote-unquote genocide. He doesn't want to be quote-unquote complicit in the genocide. You and I were talking. Um, there are so many resemblances between Israel and Ukraine. Both are, you know, fledgling. Well, one is rich, one is poor. Uh, they're both democracies, both troubled, both um, have a great deal of internal uh, dissent. But they're treated so much differently by the world. Ukraine is praised for its its heroism. Israel is condemned, even accused of genocide, uh, ethnic cleansing. We encourage one side, Ukraine, to fight to the bitter end as long as it takes. That's our policy, even though there's no uh, there's no plan uh, to quote unquote. Uh, uh, win the war. There's no definition of what even winning means against a foe that's infinitely more powerful than the foe Israel faces. Um, and Israel is uh, told to agree to a, a forced surrender before the job is done. Uh, the Ukrainian army can do no wrong. The Israeli army can do no right. What What's going on? Uh, I... <laughs> I keep thinking we're in a bad dream and we'll wake up at any moment now. It makes it's hard to make any sense of it, Tom. Look, even before the war, when tensions were rising between Ukraine and Russia, it's always tense. But when the tensions were rising, uh, America was leaning. um, America was basically saying, except for Biden, who didn't do much of anything, but you know, America, most Americans, particularly the defense wing of the Republican Party, were saying, stay strong. And even a lot of liberals were saying to Ukraine, stay strong, you know. Uh, but Israel, between wars, during wars, they're always told you got to give up more. You got to be a, you got to be realistic. You can't defeat the entire Muslim world. You, you got to make concessions. You know, you're never going to be accepted unless you show your goodwill. And yet we embrace this idea that Ukraine's going to defeat Russia. Really? That's not going to happen. There is no, I don't care if we give them everything except our nukes. Ukraine is not going to defeat Russia. If it is, then it undermines the entire argument that Russia is on the way to conquering Eastern Europe. Well, if a well-armed Ukraine can stop them, both cannot be true. But we hear both arguments made all the time. Uh, oh, Ukraine's going to win. Uh, really? How, how are they going to do that? Well, uh, you know, if they don't, if we don't support them and, and Russia takes Ukraine, they're just going to roll right up in Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Estonia, Latvia. Really? Really? Because any one of those moves will result in the, the legally required involvement of NATO and with ground forces, if necessary. R- Russia wants to do that, really? I, 
the, none of it. I, Tom, I just, I don't, I, I am so upset that the people that are the elites that have been running things have so screwed everything up and have lied to us so often that they are turning me into a cynic and I don't want to be a cynic. But we are being lied to continually and told to just sit down and shut up. And if we counter the lies, we are guilty of spreading misinformation. So they're telling us that this city that no one in America has ever heard of just changed hands from the Ukrainians to the Russians. At Vika, which is, by the way, a brand new city. It's not okay. a historic. That's probably why we've never heard of it. Um, that that happened because the Christian nationalist Speaker Johnson uh, didn't pass the sixty billion for Ukraine. None of the things the sixty billion would have bought would have been on the battlefield even now. No one so answers the, lie. No one answers the question: What will the sixty billion buy? Will it buy victory? What is victory? How do you define the victory? And if it won't buy victory, what will it buy? What's how long will it last? When will it run out? No one. I, again, it's the question, and I'm um, it's it's unfair of me because I will now have asked you this twice. I don't have an answer. Why does the world prefer Ukraine's struggle over Israel's? Well, I mean, for, I mean, first of all, you can't discount the uh, embedded anti-Semitism of quote the world. That's why every time I I hear uh, a U.S. president and Biden does it a lot, you know, we want the world community to be behind us. Uh, the world community is so happy that Donald Trump is not president and I am. Um, yeah, well, that that to me, that's an argument that, you know, you're a horrible president. But the, the world community is on display at the United Nations. And these the, this is not a bunch of people that I would want to invite over for dinner. You, you know, I wouldn't want them anywhere near my children. I wouldn't trust them with my money. So, you, you know, I know a lot of Americans will find this hard to believe. If, God forbid, somebody nuked Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, uh, the world community would shed, in many cases, crocodile tears, issue their statements, and then go on with life. And there would be quite a few closed doors where well-dressed men and women with manicured fingernails who often lecture us about what civilization means, who would secretly celebrate that this nettlesome issue no longer needed to bother them. You know, there's <clears throat> there's another side to this story. I don't know whether you ch- I've been spamming you with texts this morning. You're probably too busy to have looked at them. There's another side to the story which is never told, <clears throat> and it isn't meant in any way to negate the negative aspects of the story, which is, quote-unquote, cultivated international opinion. But at the same time, we see the uh, elite institutions carrying on with this anti-Israel crusade, if you will. There's another side to the story, and the other side to the story we saw yesterday, and of all places, Brazil. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, who is facing uh, state-coordinated efforts to ban him from ever returning to politics for almost exactly the mirror image of uh, January 6th when he lost a very uh, closely contested, highly, uh, um, highly debatable uh, election results with all kinds of irregularities. Tens of thousands of Brazilians yesterday in, I believe it was Rio, it might have been Sao Paulo, I'm not sure, or maybe Brasilia, I don't even know where it was, uh, took to the streets waving Israeli flags. Now, it's remarkable, but you have uh, Arab countries, the UAE, and all this talk about Egypt, you can forget about it, there is no way Egypt is canceling the peace treaty over the war in Gaza. The peace treaty has benefited Egypt immensely, as well as Israel. These countries, know they understand that if Hamas survives, Hamas wins. And you've got countries in Europe, 
Hungary, Poland, um, uh, you know, even opposition sectors in in uh, France. The German government's been very strong. And it's the United States. It's Tony Blinken. It's the president who's pushing this talismanic notion of a, a Palestinian state at the very time that Hamas and the Palestinian Authority talk about oxymorons. Uh, it should be called the Palestinian inauthority because it has no authority because Hamas runs everything are in unity talks. I, it's just, it defies explanation. It really does. Yeah, Tom, it's, um, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it is very disturbing. You know, we've talked before about uh, the fact that uh, Israel and the United States uh, are the two pillars of Judeo-Christian civilization. And the American left is uh, busy uh, trying to uh, rip asunder uh, America's association with Judeo-Christian civilization. It was interesting in the, in the, um, in the last week or so, there's been uh, another round of vicious attacks against uh, what the media calls Christian nationalists. <laughs> and, and I don't mean to laugh. It's just the 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 nomenclature is is right. And saying that these Christian nationalists um, are there's a lot of indications from the deep investigative research that the media has done that these Christian nationalists are going to occupy many positions in a second Trump administration. And then it goes on to describe who these Christian nationalists are. And there was an MSNBC reporter this week who uh, was talking to a little panel and she goes, look, now you need to understand this. She said, uh, these, these people, uh, the uh, Christians, not, not all Christians, not all Christians believe this, but there's a group of Christians that actually believe that th the rights we have do not come from the Congress or the president or the Supreme Court. In fact, they don't come from any earthly uh, man-made institution. They come from God. That's what they actually believe. And the other panelists are sitting there going, oh, my God, really? Yeah, yes, yes. And these are influential people, and they're going to be all over a second administ Trump administration. This is deeply disturbing stuff. Well, she, that is the description of the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. It's what Thomas Jefferson believed. It's what Abraham Lincoln based uh, his argument against slavery on. It's what Martin Luther King built the entire civil rights movie on, uh, movement on. I have no doubt, Tom, I, I, I meant to check before the show. I have no doubt that this woman went to probably one of the finer universities in America uh, probably has a salary way above what a normal family can uh, can uh, 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 earn. And she doesn't even understand the basic idea and the power of it, of um, of what America was founded on. If the, the Christian nationalists, as she put it, are wrong, and in fact our liberty does come uh, from mere men, then our, then liberty everywhere is is held hostage to the worst person that gets power. Now, look, it gets it gets a little complicated. That, so there are places where where men take away liberty. But it, it's always illegitimate when they do that. They're taking away liberty that it is it's not theirs to take. And And as I thought about it, Tom. The reason they're doing this is if there are a bunch of people running out of America that think their liberty come from, comes from God and Joe Biden or uh, Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or big tech is taking it away, they understand that these uh, Americans that think they're taking away something that God gave them might get in a bad mood and actually think they've got to fight to take it back. I mean, that's why Democrats are plotting an insurrection to stop um, Donald Trump, whom they call an insurrectionist. This uh, Politico reporter, Heidi Presbola, who used to be, I thought, okay, wrote this, this screed, 1,500-word screed in 
Politico last week, and she was the, the woman that you're referring to on MSNBC about Christian nationalists. Um, these are our founding documents. These are the founding principles. This, uh, you know, their great hero, FDR, would have opposed this characterization. FDR was a Christian nationalist. JFK was a Christian nationalist. These are just, they're, they're attempting with some success, unfortunately, to use language to delegitimize the very essence and ethic of our founding and the creed that defined America and all Americans until really about 25 minutes ago. Yeah. And it's it's terrifying the degree to which they have succeeded. And I think in large measure, uh, there is responsibility on our side, Republican side, because we never want to fight about these issues. We never want to talk about it. We want to talk about, um, you know, medical deductibles in Obamacare or capital gains tax rates, um, we want to focus solely on the economy, not that that isn't something that concerns every American now that they're spending 30% more for uh, uh, necessities of everyday life than they were three years ago while their incomes have declined. But, um, you know, there, there, there was the old Ronald Reagan joke uh, that he liked to tell that in America, if you look, you can always find a party, but in Russia, the party will find you. Well, today, that's no longer a joke because the party here, which is the Democrat establishment in league with, as you would call them, uniparty Republicans, they're the ones um, that have done such an, uh, uh, such a, well-manicured job of finding you. I mean, take a look at the uh, arrest we saw last week of this FBI informant, um, Alexander Smirnov, I think his name was, charged by David Weiss of spreading a false story about Burisma paying a Joe and Hunter Biden. I don't know whether you hear that in the uh, background, but that is, uh, I didn't turn my phone off. There are uh, air raid sirens going off uh, now in Israel Um Red alerts, but I'll turn that down. Anyway, um, it's it's like we are truly facing uh, from all sides this kind of implosion efforts to crush us. Yeah, you, you know, Tom, uh, the this uh, central idea of America debate um, all the way back in 2020 when I was running for president. I won't waste all of our time by recounting the details, but. I visited a lot of high schools and early on I was getting odd questions and it made me think, do, do these kids know what the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence said? Uh, so I, I uh, challenged a, a, a high school class in Minneapolis uh, to uh, finish the sentence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And I told the, the students that the first one that could fi- uh, finish it without actually uh, cheating uh, by looking into their book, uh, I would give ten dollars to, and and uh, I, I I left that school as rich as or as poor as I was when I entered it. So I made it a fixture of my campaign, and in about a hundred school visits, I gave out two ten dollar bills in two thousand in the year two thousand. Is that right? Yeah, in in New Hampshire. I was invited to uh, speak to the state legislature. They'll, they'll often invite uh, all the candidates. And the legislature at the time was um, was controlled by the Republican Party. And I spoke in the legislature and I uh, said how disappointed I was in New Hampshire, which was a you know an important uh, state that. Uh, even in my high school visits in New Hampshire, the kids could not tell me what the end of that sentence was. And Tom, a lot of the Republicans in the New Hampshire legislature were angry that I had violated their hospitality by saying that about their state when I addressed the state legislature. That, you know, I've told you this story before. And I, again, I, I, 
I won't go, I won't set the whole stage because it's too much about me, but there was one school, an elementary school that I visited and the teachers took me into a room, put me in the middle of it. All these kids were in a big circle around me. And they said, Mr. Barr, we heard that you were upset that American high school students uh, didn't know the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. So we wanted to give you a gift here today. And uh, they looked over at a little girl and she stood up and she said, Mr. Bauer went in the course of human events and she sat down and these elementary school kids recited the entire Declaration of Independence. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I Actually, no it, 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 I was going to say it, it's amazing. I mean, we had to. <clears throat> I'm a public school product, which is probably why I sound so illiterate and uneducated. Uh, we had to memorize that as a second or third grade. I mean, that was part and parcel of a standard American public school education back when I was in public school in the uh, 19th century. But, you know, this we're going through a um, something like the, the Chinese Cultural Revolution, you know, where all the old things were disposed of. And there are these uh, really even now. Uh, sort of disturbing and horrifying photos of Chinese youth who were all in on this, right? It was it was tearing down everything, tearing down a lot of traditional Chinese culture in order to give it us a, a give them a, a blank board that they could could write large uh, communism on. And we've been we've been doing this. We you know the the attacks on America's. Uh, uh, the, the statues to America's history, uh, the dropping of our founding documents. You know, back in the Obama administration, there was a controversy because a number of times Obama would dec- would would quote the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, but every time he would leave out endowed by their creator. And me and others would argue that's no accident. He wants that out. The left wants that out. They want you to believe you are endowed with certain liberties from them, not from some God that may or may not exist. Uh, the God of uh, same God that, that the people of Israel worships. It's so I think that's another reason, you know, that that Israel is always being urged to make concessions, to not defend their religious sites, to make more concessions to the radical Muslims. Because it's all part and parcel of the deconstruction of Western civilization, of Judeo-Christian civilization. Interesting. I mean, that's an interesting analog. I mean, perhaps that explains the lack of a of a profoundly religious central narrative to the Russia-Ukraine thing. Um, that might be Biden's excuse for prompting. Ukraine to fight for every square inch of territory while at the same time, you know, applying all this unprecedented pressure on Israel to relinquish its own territory to a terror army. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we've talked about this, the Munich Security Conference, which just ended, that where I was honored to attend. Um, the point was made by Neil Ferguson, but I didn't hear by anybody else. And I want to get off the Ukraine-Israel thing because there's a lot of domestic stuff to talk about. But Russia is uh, propagating a war of conquest against Ukraine. Russia wants to uh, conquer Ukraine or at least to neuter its government. Hamas is conducting a war of annihilation against the state of Israel, seeking not simply to destroy the state, but to murder every Jew in it. Um, And... There's an element there, I think you're, and this is clearly a religious, uh, Islamist imperative that wherever you find a Jew behind a rock, you must slay him. But I don't know whether you've read, uh, Jerry Baker's new book, American Breakdown. He's the editor of the Wall Street Journal. Um, and it's very compelling. He talks at length with statistic after statistic about the change and transformation in reporting. He talks about journalism. In the 1960s, um, you didn't need a degree to be a journalist or a reporter. It was a trade, like being a butcher or a plumber. You pursued facts. The old line that even I learned in journalism school was, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. 
Um, and in my case, of course, that was very valid because I checked and checked and could find no evidence. But hey, um, uh, <laughs> your mother loves you. Um, <laughs> I had dinner with her one night. She couldn't stop talking. Oh, I'm sure she couldn't. Yeah, no, she's um, um, that. And today it it's no longer a trade. It's an ideological um uh, quasi-religious profession where the higher you go up the journalistic food chain, the more likely every practitioner is a graduate of an elite university, a high-end university. Their objective now is to no longer find the facts, but to develop and um, to develop a narrative and to grind that into uh, everyone's consciousness. It's, we see that we saw that over the weekend with <clears throat> this horrific murder of uh, Lake and Riley in Athens, Georgia, the University of Georgia nursing student brutally murdered by an illegal uh, alien who'd been arrested multiple times, released, no bail, no consequence. The AP, which uh, led the story, the narrative the AP wants to sell is that female athletes who run alone are endangered. So the narrative is the fears of solo female athletes. The AP never even mentioned to this murderer's uh, illegal status. They referred to him as an Athens, Georgia resident, made no mention whatsoever of his rap sheet, and his illegal so status. It's Yeah, that's, that's state-controlled media. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you get. Literally in a totalitarian society. Oh, yeah. And they recommend, I don't know if you saw the initial story, but they're continuing to run with it. Uh, at the bottom, they have one of those asterisks. Uh, the AP recommends that women run with pepper spray. They run in daylight hours only, and they keep their phones with them at all times. So this is, again, it's blaming the victim and protecting this class of illegals who are treated far better than law-abiding Americans are. No one argues that the, of the 10 million illegals that have come across our non-existent southern border, thanks to Joe Biden, that a majority of them are murderers. That's not the point. The point is, one murder is one murder too many. We have enough crime, thank you very much, from native-born Americans. We don't need to import crime. And the effort to hush it up, to hide it, uh, to turn around the narrative is it's the most self-destructive, uh, nihilist, atavistic approach to undermining the very character of our of our culture and civilization. You're you're absolutely right, Tom. You know, when when uh, George Floyd, uh, <clears throat> when the arrests of George Floyd in Minneapolis uh, uh, was handled uh, improperly, at the very least. Um, it ended up that that uh, the main individual was was convicted, I believe, of I don't know if it was first degree man. Wasn't man. even it wasn't racism in any way that no. two of the four officers that were there were, quote unquote, officers of color. Um, right. Race was never even mentioned during the trial. But yet that was the narrative. Yeah. So so you had that act. It, it was a violent act, but in a in a strange way. Right. I mean. I don't think that any of the policemen were hoping or intending to not. kill George Floyd. Of course not. Uh, this guy in Georgia was clearly intending. He either wanted to rape her and she fought back. And so then he bludgeoned her to death. So George Floyd ended up literally having four official funerals to accommodate all the different levels of American elites that wanted to be able to attend his his death gave rise to the black lives matter movement and the investment of millions of dollars by corporate America uh, into that movement. Uh, it resulted in, in a massive expansion of the diversity, equity and inclusion curriculum into businesses and schools. Uh, there was uh, the gnashing of teeth and soul searching about what a horrible, evil country we remain. Multiple cities around America defunded their police, and we are still paying the price uh, the citizens are for, for that. 
will buildings names were changed streets became george floyd avenue schools took off the names of founding fathers and renamed themselves george floyd high school will any of those things happen for an american nursing student at the university of georgia who had ahead of her a likely marriage and likely children And her parents had ahead of them probable grandchildren, the joys that laid ahead of her. Our government is failing at the primary responsibility it exists, which is to keep the people of the country safe from evil, both internal and external. And they don't do it. They have they have uh, accomplices that are powerful, like the media, that can take two single incidences and make one a national cause and make the other something quickly swept under the rug. Dan Greenfield has a piece, I think it was over the weekend at Front Page Mag, that the crime wave that's sweeping the country and these serial prosecutions of Donald Trump are not unrelated. They're two sides of the same coin, that law enforcement is being transformed from punishing crime to punishing political opponents. He says it's less of a double standard than it is this dangerous new standard of precisely what the law is, that prosecutors uh, aren't supposed to be judges. They weren't created to be judges, but that's exactly what they've become. It's the same philosophy that allows for these no-bail violent felons who are members of minority groups that are allegedly oppressed, and I guess that now includes illegal aliens, and throwing the book at January 6th paraders, demonstrators, or rioters, bankrupting a, a former president who defrauded no one for fraud. The goal isn't lawlessness um, as much as it is a new kind of law, a police state that merges, you know, welfareism, uh, government largesse and street lawlessness to protected classes with vicious prosecutions of political dissent. It isn't lawlessness, but a new type of law based on a totally different set of values. Yeah, the, you know, these uh, uh, prosecutors are, are supposed to be representing the law-abiding citizen against the criminal. Exactly. But they, they, in fact, represent the criminal as he or she deals with the criminal justice system. Yeah, the, so there's nobody that's representing right. the law-abiding citizen. The abstract notion of, quote-unquote, social justice – uh, is more important than protecting your house from being robbed or you from being carjacked. It's an abstract value in place of a very specific and tangible uh, defense of, of uh, citizens and property rights. And that's where we are. That's the, that's the real tragedy here. And it's, um, I don't know whether you – I saw Victor Davis Hanson on one of our favorite shows over the weekend talking about the commonalities in all these cases against um, Trump from this E. Jean Carroll to Alvin Bragg to Jack Smith down the line. Um, and it's hard to dispute anything he says. They're all left-wing. All the cases are filed in left-wing big cities, Atlanta, New York, Washington, with – Left-wing judges, left-wing jury pools um, that are not characteristic uh, of the country at large. All of the cases, all four of them are overtly political. They all campaign for office promising to destroy Donald Trump. In the case of Jack Smith, he raised all kinds of money promising to go after Donald Trump. You've got Donald Trump now... Uh, convicted of a, a civil fraud under a statute never before used in the history of New York. This prosecutor in New York uh, filed this case against Trump um, against the business for allegedly overvaluing his uh, real estate to obtain loans that uh, bank auditors approved. 
They have their own discovery. Bank auditors come. I mean, they don't just take your word for it when you're applying for a mortgage. All these loans were paid back in full, on time, sizable profits for everybody who uh, who uh, uh, lent Donald Trump money. Um, and yet this, and then there's this Alvin Bragg, this guy who manages to MacGyver, you know, Trump's non-disclosure agreement into this felonious federal campaign violation. They're all connected. They're all related. Um, you know, you can go down the list. Um, there's the January 6th versus the BLM summer of love that you were just talking about. Billions of dollars in damages through all the riots that summer. 52 people killed, hundreds wounded. Yet how many of the 20,000 or so people that were arrested were ever charged, let alone convicted of any crime? You know, uh, uh, President Trump addressed all these issues at his speech at the National Religious Broadcasters in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, that was yes. Um, I, that I, was I missed that. How was that? I missed that. Uh, I it that was, was it was incredible. I really uh, urge our our listeners to uh, check it out themselves. You can get uh, you can find the audio uh, a On number YouTube, of places so. online. But but uh, Tom, he I mean he goes right at the attack on Judeo Christian values that's taking place. How you know one of the main goals of his second term will be to stop it. He said, you know, under my presidency, nobody's going to be ripping down crosses. Nobody's going to be forcing or pressuring churches to hang out social justice flags and LGBTQ flags. Uh, he brought up the um, the, the uh, Catholics that have been arrested both in D.C. and, and in Tennessee for uh, engaging in nonviolent sit-ins. Reminiscent of the civil rights movement outside of abortion clinics have been found guilty of violating a federal law called the FACE Act and are facing 10 years in prison and $250,000 fines because they sat in outside of an abortion clinic. Uh, I mean, we, we are in uncharted territory. Tucker Carlson said the other day that if the prosecute, the attorney general in New York, and uh, Fanny in uh, Atlanta um, can fix an American election by basically destroying Trump financially and leading to the potential imprisonment of him down in Georgia, then America really is gone. I, mean, I don't know how you can argue with that. No, you can't. You can't. And of course, you know, news today that Ron McDaniel, the RNC chair, will step down on March the 8th. Uh, Donald Trump has uh, endorsed the former RNC chair in the state of North Carolina, whose name um, now escapes me, Michael Watley, together with his daughter, Laura Trump. You know, McDaniel was criticized uh, for her spending, but that wasn't really... The problem, in my opinion, it wasn't that Ronna McDaniel spent too much, but that she raised too little, far, far too little. You have to engage in some of the spending as the chair of a major political party. But when you're not bringing any money in, and that's the problem, is that the established, that that our institutional infrastructure, the Republican National Committee, the Republican State Committees, are a shade, a fraction, a mere shadow of what we're facing on the other side, right? We don't have um, all this elite establishment institutional support. We have a Republican Party that's funded largely by big donors whose interests are very, very different than grassroots Republican conservatives. Yeah, well, you know, was was it uh, was it Club for Growth or the other one that? Uh has been all in for for Nikki Haley and and just uh, the Coke uh, Americans the Coke for, folks yeah. they they just pulled her they just announced yeah, they were but, done but with you her. know the the um, the explanation they give is that uh, yeah they've made a judgment she's not going to make it right so they they wanted to save their money so they could save the House and Senate if. Trump actually ends up being our candidate. So they're not going to they're not going to help Trump at all. That that's my that's my view. Um, 
Nikki Haley, I think, signaled pretty clearly over the weekend that she she's under no illusions about where this is going to end. I think she's auditioning for the no labels nomination, and that will be, if she does it, a huge problem. That'll hurt Republicans. That'll hurt Trump more yeah. than yeah, more than absolutely. More than- I don't think I don't think John, I don't think Bobby Kennedy uh, hurts Trump. I don't think you know any of these other third party candidates hurt Trump. But she's a Republican woman, and that will be enough uh, to to pull off eight or ten percent of the Republican Party. And I, I don't think uh, it will be very difficult to, for Trump to make that up within the. Why would she do that? That's a total dead end. There's no future. She'll be hated and scorned. She already is by Republicans. She, she passes herself off to the extent that she's able to intellectualize any conservative arguments because she's not a very deep thinking person. She's pretty shallow. A Reagan Republican, that's how she defines herself. That's how she uh, uh, views herself without really understanding what that even means. And no labels, these are, you know, and they're very good people. Joe Lieberman, one of the finest human beings I've ever met. A big fan of yours, by the way. But he's a liberal. He's not a Reagan conservative, for crying out loud. Why would she do that? Well, I mean, Tom, they still, they're, they're still hoping against hope that, that this is a passing phenomenon. That once Donald Trump is off the scene, uh, either for losing a second time or dying or being imprisoned, or being bankrupted, whatever it is, uh, that Republicans will return to their senses and get back to the proper role we are supposed to play in the Uniparty's remaking of America. And a whole lot of people like Nikki Haley and um, and uh, the, uh, the former Speaker uh, Paul Ryan, uh, a lot of those people, they, they play, they, they've got a good gig. They're, they're able to call themselves Republicans. They get to go to fundraisers and be applauded. They're, you know, in the case of Ryan, he was a vice presidential nominee. They, they managed to become very, very wealthy. Uh, and, and they know what the game is. You just can't do anything that actually matters. Anything that would actually change the course that America's on. Paul Ryan, for no particular reason, uh, that I can discern felt compelled a week or so ago to give a big interview with the Washington Post just to let everybody know he's still around. He's in his second career and he's uh, doing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, he no longer recognizes the Republican Party under Trump. It's uh, it's become a very bad thing, but it won't last forever. And who knows? He might have a third career ahead of him. Once that this dastardly man uh, with his rhetoric and his insistence that we actually do something about our drift to secular global uh, socialism, uh, he might be back in Washington to lead a refurbished Republican Party, free of the Trumpians uh, and back to, uh, you know, Reagan Republicanism as he and uh, and Nikki Haley would uh, would 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 explain it, Tom. I can tell you, you well, nothing. You can't do it with certainty, but I feel a ninety nine per nine nine percent sure that Nikki Haley, if she had been in the Republican Party when when George, when uh, Ronald Reagan cha- challenged Gerald Ford, Nikki Haley would have been firmly in the camp of Gerald Ford. She would have been one of those Republicans <laughs> accusing Ronald Reagan of being an extremist, one of those Republicans that after he wrapped up the nomination, tried to force a co-presidency on him, uh, turning over foreign policy. Uh, to uh, a vice president, Gerald Ford, or somebody else. Don't, don't give me this. She's a Reagan Republican. This That's a bunch of BS. Look, I, we talked about this last week, Tucker's visit to Russia. Our civilization is in very deep trouble. Um, our political system seems utterly incapable of fixing anything. The woke left attempting with great success to redefine the very essence of our creed. Um, 
we look out and we see this collapse of civil liberties, this expansion of of globalism. By the way, globalism in and of itself, I don't oppose. It's globalism as an ideology that is, I think, most dangerous. Uh, we've got a non-existent border, mass illegal immigration, this deliberate anti-family, pro-trans ideology that's turning um, skeptics like uh, Tucker Carlson and, to an extent, Gary Bauer and Tom Rose into cynics. And it might be hard to blame all of us. The biggest problem of all that we face is that despite the overwhelming majority of Americans who oppose this, um, all attempts to address the problems that an overwhelming majority of Americans recognize as problems are failing. The 2016 election was this desperate cry to fix these problems. The American people didn't care about his tweets. All they wanted to, to was to, to vote for somebody uh, with the stones to address these problems, to close our border, to stop, at least slow down the cultural rot that was destroying us from within. But rather than waking up, all our elites did was uh, everything in their power, many things outside their power, to prevent Trump from delivering on his promises. Yeah, I well, I obviously agree, Tom. Um, yeah, so the globalism thing is uh, that that is that that's complicated. But the problem is, you know, I, I know all the economic arguments for massive free trade and multinational corporations and all the rest of it. But but once you go down that road, uh, you need um, and once you also at the same time have taken it upon yourself to be the guarantor, guarantor of uh, trade uh, paths and uh, sea lanes and all the rest of it, you then create international organizations. And every one of those international organizations no longer thinks in terms of sovereignty. They, they think in terms of the globe. Well, their so sovereignty. You, they're, they're, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you get um, – you get pressure from them for open borders because money and people freely crossing borders uh, aids economic efficiency. You get pressure um, uh, for countries that are more traditional in their moral uh, opinions of things like abortion and marriage and uh, gender and so forth. You pressure those countries to bend to a global standard that says none of this is anybody's business. Uh, in fact, you should embrace all these different ways of, of living. And, and then you get presidents that won't commit U.S. troops uh, or won't send treaties to the United States Senate for, con- for uh, rat- ratification. They take them to the United Nations instead. So I, I've come to really embrace what was a Buchanan view that um, internationalism and um, uh, uh, America as world protector inevitably leads to a loss of our own freedom. Look, I mean, that's a that's a great point and we're running out of time. But the way I'll respond to that is this is where. The rubber hits the road. This is where we really, really face the existential crisis. If more and more people come to the conclusion that democracy equals complete social familial collapse, if it means the end of citizenship through mass, illegal, unfettered immigration, if it means decriminalizing crime, if it means our cities must be unlivable, our schools uh, uh, indoctrination cesspools of filth, isn't it time some people are going to start asking to look at alternatives? And when we reach that tipping point where people come to the conclusion that democracy equals dysfunction, then we're in real trouble.
Yeah, as we end here, Tom, I was talking to a very bright Christian guy the other day. Uh, he's been around for a while. I'm, I'm not going to name names or whatever, but he, in turn, was talking to a uh, very respected theologian. And uh, he said to this theologian, how serious, uh, and this is not some, uh, you know, right-wing evangelical, neither one of them. This theologian, uh, he asked, how serious is the situation in America? Where where do you think we're going to be in five years? And the theologian said, uh, I've been praying a lot about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to be living under totalitarianism. I'm not. I'm just not sure its exact form. Look, um, Trump isn't the problem. Tucker isn't the problem. They're symptoms. And unless and until our elites start listening to the people that they're supposed to represent, these problems aren't going away, Gary. They're only going to get worse. Tom, we should start charging for this show. I mean, I think this was clearly a thousand dollar show. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, it really, it is a level of discussion that I wish we were having in the national debate. Yeah. You, you know, the, the American people, Ronald Reagan always said, re, respect the wisdom of the American people, you know, the common sense of the American people. Um, anyway, well, folks, uh, thank you for being with us as you, as you are uh, several times a week. Tom and I love doing the show. Have a fantastic uh, week. Remember, grow stronger. We all need to grow stronger. You know how to do that. You know where your strength comes from. It comes from your God. It comes from your family. It comes from your values. We're going into a time where we all need to become very, very strong. God a- bless you. Amen. Amen. Have a great couple of days. Love to Carol. And uh, God bless you and everybody uh, who works to keep and defend this great country of ours. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. 